great to have family come home, isn't it? Very cool. All right, we better get into it because that time keeps ticking and uh, we want to finish sometime today. School goes back tomorrow. We don't want to miss that, do we, kids? No. All right, my message this morning is called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. And I'm not talking about an old Western film, although some of you may remember this. Yes, I can see a few hands going up. I'm not talking about my three children either this morning. None of whom are in the building right now, so I can say that. What I am want to do this morning is I want to look at um, a guy in the Bible, um, but I'm not going to look this morning at his highlight reel. Often in the Bible, we, we pull out Bible heroes and we call them Bible heroes and we look at the great things that they did. But today we're not looking at the highlight reel. Today we're looking at the life of Joshua. We're not looking at the Battle of Jericho. We're not looking at crossing the Jordan River. We're not looking at him being one of the spies that brought a positive report back when others brought negative. We're actually going to look at some of the stuff that went wrong. Some of the, the failures, if you like, or some of the mistakes or some of the sins or some of the just... Whatever you want to call it, whatever terminology you want to put on it, it's not the stuff that Joshua would choose to put in his highlight reel at the end of his life, but the Bible doesn't hide it. The Bible reveals all of that, and it's there for us to learn from. It's there for us to go, hopefully we can learn the lesson and not go through the pain of what we see Joshua and the people of Israel go through from some of these mistakes. Is that okay? It's important to note in all of this, we don't do it from a judgmental point of God, oh, how did you get that wrong? We do it from a student point of view of going, how can we learn from this so that we can avoid some of these similar things? It's important to remember that Bible heroes are people who make mistakes. I think a human way of thinking is often we elevate men and we elevate women into this place where they were never meant to be. We do it even today with our favorite online preacher or our favorite podcast. And we just put these people up in this pedestal and we go, that's not where they're supposed to be. They are great anointed men and women and great leaders, but they are not God. And they are, they are people that make mistakes. So it's important to remember that. It's also very important to remember that mistakes do not disqualify you. That making mistakes and having failures and things going wrong in your life is not a disqualification for being used by God. If it were true, there would be no one used by God. It would only be Jesus but he chooses to use you and he chooses to use me and he chooses to use the men and the women in the Bible, even though they had mistakes, even though they had character flaws, even though they had issues going on in their world, they are still chosen and used by God. So it's important to remember all of that this morning. We're going to look at three different things. The three Ds. I like to keep all the Ds. Number one, defeat at A. Everyone say A or AI, artificial intelligence. Let's read Joshua 6, 24. The Israelites were defeating, as they were defeating the city of Jericho, we read this, verse 24. The Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were to be kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So they'd been defeating the city of Jericho and they're told everything in there, destroy except for those things. They're told not to take anything from the town for themselves. They're told only to take those few things and to take them and put them in the Lord's house, the Lord's treasury. But this instruction is not followed. There's always one. And in this case, we see in Joshua 7 verse 1, Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. 
A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. You'll read in the rest of Joshua 7 how they go to attack this city of Ai. They've just had this awesome victory at Jericho. They're full of confidence. They're full of just like, yeah, we can do this. We can take this city. And they go into this new time and they only send 3,000 of their soldiers. They think, we've got this. We won easily. We'll just send in 3,000 of our force. They go into the city and basically, short story, they get destroyed. They get annihilated. They get totally humiliated. It says that they retreat and they were demoralized at their heavy defeat. Verse 5 says this, They were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events and their courage melted away. You've got to get this. Amazing victory at Jericho. Confidence high, courage high, just like confidence just through the roof. And now we read that they are paralyzed with fear, that they are just, um, you know, in their courage, it says, has melted away. So it's a huge turnaround. The defeat caused Joshua to turn to God. It caused him to go, God, why has this happened? You called us to this place. You told us to go to this place. You gave us victory before. Why Why are we having defeat now? And God reveals to Joshua what had gone on. In verse 21, we we read that Achan actually owns up to his mistakes. He says this, Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. I saw 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua turns to God and goes, God, what's going on? And God reveals to him that there's someone in the camp that has done the wrong thing and Achan owns up to it and confesses to it. If you read the rest of the story, there's actually an ultimate price for his actions. He actually loses his life as a consequence of this. That's a pretty heavy consequence for doing something like this. And fortunately, we no longer live under that covenant. We no longer live under that old covenant of of wrath and of, of this anger. But... Achan has lost his life over this decision. And I I ask myself, I go, why did he do that? Was it greed? Was it, I just, I saw, it says that I wanted them so much so that I took them. You know, when your kid kid and mum says, don't eat the cookie or don't eat the lolly, and then mum's not in the room and you see it, and your eyes fix on it, I want it, so I take it, and I'll bear the consequences later, because my little brother will dob on me. It says that he saw them and he wanted them and he took them. Maybe he had fear in his life. Maybe he had worry. Maybe he was unsure about how things were going to go with him. And so he started to go, you know what, I want to look after my family. So here's an opportunity for me to get ahead. Here's an opportunity for us to get some wealth and get some savings behind us. And here's an opportunity for us to be okay. So we did it. We don't know why he did it. But it's clear that he took for himself something that had been instructed to be set apart for God. Something was clearly told, don't take this, set it apart for God. And Achan clearly came along and said, I'll have that for myself. We don't know why, we just saw that he did. And if I'm honest, there's times in my life and there's probably times in your life where we're tempted to do the same thing. Where there's things that have been called to be set apart for God and we're tempted to go, you know what, I could do with that. I might just hold on to that. Even though it's been told to be set apart for God, I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to 
you know, whether it's a decision out of fear, a decision out of worry, a decision out of doubt, we all are tempted to do that in our life. And when I'm tempted to do that, especially around the area of finances, especially around the area of money, especially at that start of the year when, I don't know what it's like in your house, but every registration under the sun is due at the same month. I don't know if you experience that in your world. We, we are tempted to go, you know what, the stuff that I've set apart for God, I'm actually going to keep to myself. And I'll have to remind myself of these truths in, in Scripture. Matthew 6:33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Or in Malachi, we talk about tithe and offering. That's one that we can easily go, you know what, I'm going to hold back and keep to myself something that I've previously decided to set apart for God. But Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it and put me to the test. You know, I actually believe in the biblical principle of tithing. And I actually believe this, church. I know some people struggle with it. I don't believe I have to tithe. I believe I get to tithe. That's my personal thought on it. I believe that 10% of all that I earn is called to be set aside for God's house. That's what I believe. And so by doing that, I'm actually putting aside what I believe is dedicated to God and saying, that's yours. Because what it does, it reveals that my heart... My life is trusting in God's provision, not my own provision. I believe it's something called to be set apart, and therefore I do set it apart, trusting Him that the rest will be okay. Tony Campolo says this, God doesn't just want 10% of my money, He wants 100% of my heart. And I know that the tithe is often the test to see where our heart is at. And I've experienced over and over again God's provision in my life, but I'm constantly, I don't think you ever graduate from this test. I think it's a continual test. Will you give to God what God has asked? Will you put aside, will you leave it in His hands, or will you take it into your own hands? Whose hands do you want it in, yours or God's? That's the test, and that's what it's about. And I have to regularly remind myself that by doing that, it's going to be okay. That God is a trustworthy God and I can put my hope and my trust in Him. I do not need to take for myself what has been called to be set apart for God. Achan couldn't resist this temptation. He couldn't resist the temptation to take for himself what had been set apart for God and he paid the ultimate price. Not only did he pay a price, the nation of Israel suffered this huge defeat at the city of Ai because they, someone within their ranks had taken for what themselves what was to be set apart for God and it's like God sort of goes you know what if you're not going to follow my instructions if you're not going to do what I've asked you to do go for it live your life you're free you're in your own you're under your own control and sort of like goes takes his hand off but then when the nation of Israel when Joshua turns back to God and says God I need your help we're sorry and the nation repents you can read it in Joshua 7 the nation repents and in Joshua 8 we see 8 we see that God gives them a strategy to have a victory over where they had defeat so they were able to turn it around but it came to a place where they had to go you know what we have to own up for what we've done Joshua and the people of Israel hopefully learnt the lesson this day that there's a covering and a blessing from God when we obey him and we do what he's called us to do. And it's similar, there's also a consequence when we don't obey him. It's kind of like he goes, all right, you go for it. And he lets us live our life 
and face the consequences that come. But there is a great reward, there is a great blessing, and there's a great covering when we give to God or we set aside for God what he's called us to set aside for him. So number one was the defeat at Ai because he chose, and this wasn't Joshua's sin, but it was under his watch. Next one, deceived by the Gibeonites. You've got to watch those Gibeonites. They're quite deceitful. This is what happened. Nation of Israel, great victory at Jericho, big defeat at Ai, turn it around, great victory there. They're going from town to town. God's giving them the promised land that he said, this is for you. And word is starting to spread. Rumor is starting to spread among the land. The Israelites are coming. They are powerful. God is with them. Look out. So what the people of of the Gibeonites do is they realize that they are up against it. And so rather than fight the Israelites, they decide to trick them, to deceive them. And what they do is even though the Gibeonites only live a little way away, they get their, their oldest clothes, so they don't put on their Sunday best. They get their, you know, their painting clothes or the clothes they wear in the garden, just their old sort of stuff. They get their oldest clothes. They rip it, they tear it, they make it look dirty. They go get moldy bread. They make everything look like that's old and worn out, like they've been on this long, long journey. And they come to Joshua and they come to the Israelites and they say, look, we've been on this long journey. We're from all this way away. Can we come and stay with you for a little while? And they basically make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. They say, we won't attack you and you won't attack us. And Joshua and the people go, that's fine. These guys live a long way away. It's not an issue for us. And they make a peace treaty with them. And then the truth comes out. Then they realize that they've actually just made a peace treaty with the very people that God told them to go into the land next and to take. So they, they've got this peace treaty with people that are their neighbors rather than what they were called to do and go in that place. And it says in verse 14 that they made a huge mistake. And this is the mistake that Joshua made. And this is a mistake that we often make. It says this, Joshua 9 verse 14. It says, the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. This is what they did. They looked at the evidence. The bread was moldy. The wineskins were cracked and old. The clothes and shoes were old and worn out. And they thought to themselves, these guys have obviously come a long way. It's fine to make a peace treaty with them. But they did not consult the Lord. I wonder how many times we do this. We examine the situation. We take in the facts. We figure out a logical explanation, but then we don't consult the Lord. You know, I rewrote this verse because I like to rewrite parts of the Bible. It's a hobby of mine. I rewrote this verse, and this is what I think it should have said. It should have said something like this. The Israelites examined their food and then consulted the Lord. Because I actually think that's the pattern for living. I actually think that's a great way to go. God gave us a brain. God gave us human intelligence. He gave us a, a way to figure out solutions to problems. He wants us to use it. But he also wants us to bring that to him. I think this is what they should have done. Yeah, that bread looks old. Yeah, you look like you've been on a long journey. Yeah, it looks like a good logical thing to make a peace treaty with you. But before we do, we follow God. We're going to go to prayer. We're going to consult our God. And we're going to get peace about this decision. Yes, that looks like a good job to take. Yes, the pay is good. Yes, it's the right opportunity. But before I say yes, I'm going to go home and pray about it. I'm going to get peace in my heart about it. Yes, that's a good place to move to. 
Yes, that's a good person to date. Yes, that's a good person to ask to be married to. But before we make any of these decisions, let's go to God about it. Let's consult our God about the decisions we're about to make. God doesn't want you to throw your brain away and go, God, I'm not going to use that anymore. I've got you. No, use your brain that God gave you, but then bring that decision to Him. You know, nearly every major life decision that I've made, I've done this. I've got, God, this is what I'm thinking. This is the way I'm, I'm heading. This is what looks like the right decision to make. But I want your peace on this. I want your answer to this. If I'm heading down a path that you don't want me to go, change my mind because I'm open and I'm listening. So it's using your brain, but also going to God and saying, God, I need your direction and your final say on this. I'm giving you the final say on this matter. I'll consult all the evidence, but I'll let you have the final say. And guess what the good news is? God actually wants to help you. Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. James 1 verse 5, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Here's the great thing about God. He knows the whole picture. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows that even though things might appear a certain way, there's actually a true situation behind it. And he knows all of that. And that's why we can go to him and consult him and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? What would you like? What's your final say on what's going on in this place? What decisions are you facing right now? I wonder how many of you got a decision to make in the next week, in the next month. Now, I'm not talking about getting up tomorrow morning and going, God, cornflakes or wheat bix. What's it going to be this morning? You know, but I am talking about the, the decisions that matter, the decisions that affect the course of your life. Go to him because he's willing and waiting and wanting to lead you and direct you and guide you. Let's be a church that not only looks at the evidence, but also consults our God and says, God, what is it that you would have us do in this situation? Joshua looked at the evidence, but did not consult his God. And it cost him. It cost him his inheritance. It cost him a place that God had told him that he should go take. And now they're bound by this treaty because they want to honor their word. And it says that they were never able to take what was promised to them because they consulted the evidence rather than consulting their God. So they were deceived. Do you know that evidence can deceive you? But God will not deceive you. God will reveal his truth for your situation every single time. Let's be a church that goes to him, consults him, and hears his voice so we can know what to do. And if you don't know how to hear his voice, come to night school tonight and Brett will tell you how to. Is that right, Brett? There's a little plug for night school right there. Third one. This is the one that's probably the most on my heart this morning to talk about. The third D is the decline of the next generation. The rest of the book of Joshua describes many victories, many battles, and God giving the nation of Israel the promised land that he had promised to them a long time ago. It shows the 12 tribes of Israel that allocated their territory, their part of the promised land. And at the end of the book of Joshua, we read this, Joshua 24. After this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That is a good innings right there. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timoth Sirah in the hill country Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. 
The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. This generation served God. We often hear, when I was a youth pastor, we'd often hear messages about the Joshua generation. Be a generation that serves the Lord God. And there's no doubt about it that Joshua's generation did just that. But we read this about the next generation. In Judges 2 verse 10, it says this. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Asroth. What a turnaround. As we've learnt today, the blessings of God went off the nation of Israel as they turned away from God. Joshua's generation served God, but the next did not. I think this is probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. You can have an amazing generation like the generation of Joshua and the very next generation turns away from God so soon after all that God had done. And I ask the question, I don't know if you ever ask questions of the Bible, but I do. I go, why? Why did one generation follow God and the very next generation not? And there's two scriptures that we've just read and I think there's a little bit of an answer in them. In that first scripture we read in Joshua 24, it said this about his generation. It says that they personally experienced God and what he had done for them. And in Judges 2, it says the next generation did not remember the mighty things God had done. So one generation had an experience. The next generation had stories. One generation had real life experience. The other generation had stories that they were told about what happened before. They were told about the good old days, but they weren't able to experience it for themselves. And it wasn't long before they no longer remembered what happened at all. I I reckon one generation knew God, but the next generation knew of God. One generation had major obstacles to overcome. The next generation had had that all done for them. The next generation had it easy in one sense. The conquering, the taking of the land, their parents did that for them. And they had it a bit easy, I think. And God showed me this about this whole thing. That obstacles and challenges are actually very good for your kids. And as a dad who's got a 12-year-old daughter, I want to make her life easy. I want to make high school easy for her. But I actually know deep down that there's challenges that she needs to go through for her to grow up. That I can't protect her forever. I'm actually doing a disservice to my children by not letting them face any challenges and not letting them have to work through some stuff for themselves. It's actually very good for them. And I take my hat off to any of you that have already gone through that stage. And I know it never ends. I've been told that by my mum repeatedly. (laughs) It doesn't end. You don't graduate from this. But I do know that there's a stage for all parents to go through where you have to just trust and they have to let them fight their battles and you have to let them experience God for themselves. You have to let them 
work through it. As a parent, I'd love to do it all for them, but I know that that doesn't teach them anything. Obstacles and challenges can push us closer to God, or they can push us away from God. We actually have to let out the next generation work this out for themselves. You know, obstacles and challenges, like I said, they can push us towards God or they can push us away from God. I was thinking about the life of, of Job in the Bible. You know, when you think of challenges and trials, Job's the guy you think of. Sorry that he has that association. But this is what he goes through. Loses all of his children. Loses his property and all of his wealth. Loses his good name and his reputation. And he loses his health. If there was a prayer request and an altar call, Job would be out for every single one of the things that we list. At the end of his life, at the end of this thing, his wife says to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? So he's got an encouraging wife to help him through this really difficult time. His friends say, oh, it must be something you've done wrong to deserve all of this. So they're no help either. And the whole book of Job is about how he responds to these trials and these challenges in his life. But at the very end of the book of Job, we read this amazing verse. Job 42 verse 5, it says this. I had only heard, of, he's talking to God. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Before the tragedies, before the challenges, he'd only known about God. But now after being through it all himself, now he has seen God with his own eyes. He's experienced for himself the realities of who God is. And Job used the challenges and the tragedies to take him closer to God. You know, church, let's not be afraid of challenges in our lives. Let's not go praying for them either. God, challenge me this week. You can go for that if you want. But when challenges come, they come without the prayer, I've discovered. They'll come on their own. Challenges, hard times, difficulties, things lost, all kinds of stuff goes on. We can use them to take us closer to God, to not just know of God, but to know Him for ourselves, to personally experience His goodness and the power to overcome whatever that challenge is. The Joshua generation had obstacles to overcome. And by overcoming the challenges and the obstacles, I believe they built into their generation a personal relationship with God. They knew God for themselves because they had to. And they got through it. And I'm challenged to give my kids every opportunity to personally experience God for themselves. And I know that part of that journey is by facing challenges and obstacles. As a church, our kids' ministry, which went back today, and our youth ministry, which goes back on Friday, my prayer for them is that they would be a generation that doesn't have parents that know God, but they know God. That they experience God for themselves. As a church, that's our prayer for the next generation, for the generation still yet to be born, that they would personally experience who God is. Let's be a church that gives the next generation that opportunity to experience their amazing God for themselves. As much as I want to give that for themselves, I know ultimately it's their own decision. Ultimately, it comes down to each of us having a personal decision and a personal choice. It doesn't matter how much of an opportunity I give my kids, I know that ultimately they have to make a decision for their life, whether they will follow Jesus. My parents are an example of that. They gave me 
a great understanding and a great knowledge of what it is to be a follower of Christ. But at the age of about 15 or 16, as a young person at high school, I had to make a decision for my life. Would I be a follower of Jesus or would I be a son of people who follow Jesus? It's a personal decision. And I think we need to realize that for all of our lives. You know, I did a little study a few years ago. I'll wrap up in a second. But I was looking at the Israelite kings. And it was just, again, me out of interest going, why did some follow God, lead the nation of Israel to be a nation that followed God? And why did others just turn so violently away from God? Is there a pattern here between like godly parents and godly kids and, and all that? And this is what I found. I found examples of a godly dad, a godly king, who was followed by a godly son, a son who followed after God. I found examples of an evil dad followed by an evil son. But I also found examples of a godly dad followed by an evil son. And I also found examples of an evil dad followed by a godly son. So basically I'm saying there was no pattern at all. There was no rhyme or reason as to why some and why some didn't, other than to say that every king had to make a decision for their own life, whether they would follow God or whether they wouldn't. Whether they had a good upbringing, whether they had a great example set for them, or whether they did not, they still had to make a decision, would they follow Jesus with their life? Would they live as a godly king or would they live as a worldly king? It was a decision that they had to make for themselves. Can I have the creative team come back up this morning? We've looked at the three D's of Joshua's life. Three things that he's done wrong and hopefully we can learn from them. To set aside the things that are set aside for God. To not just use our um, physical evidence of what's before us, but to always make sure that we consult God in every decision. And thirdly, let's be a church that helps the next generation discover God for who, they are, for who he is for themselves. And this generation thing this morning is what I want to just pray over and pray into as we close. It was the thing probably the most strongest on, on preaching this message this morning. I want to pray this morning for family members. You're sitting here and you've got a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, a mum, a dad, a cousin, an uncle, whoever it is. You've got family that you know are not followers of Jesus. And it breaks your heart. Maybe they once were, but today they're not. Today as a church, we want to pray over them. We want to stand with you and pray over them this morning. Whether it's been a recent thing or whether it's been a long-term thing. And the other thing I want to pray over is that this church would be a generational church. I don't want this church just to be one certain demographic. I, want, I love the idea of seeing from the youngest to the oldest and having every generation represented in this gathering of people that come together. That we truly would be a generational church. That we would be looking out for the generations before and after, learning from each other, encouraging each other, doing this together. So what I want to do right now is if you could all just stand. And if you've got someone in your family, someone in your world, and when I mentioned before that you straight away you go, yep, you, you got their 
their name or their face just came straight to you. So I want you to raise your hand right now. You, you know who they are. You got your hands straight up. There's people around this room. If you've got people around you that have got their hand up and you're comfortable, you know them, just put your hand on their shoulder. Just let them know that they're not standing alone. You can both have one hand up and one hand on a shoulder. It's okay. I just don't want anyone to think you are standing alone this morning. If you see a hand raised, just stand with them. Because every hand raised represents a life, a person, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, an uncle, whoever it might be. And this morning we're standing together and we're praying over their life. So God, we pray for those people. God, I don't know their names, but you do. You know their life, you know their details, you know their situation. And right now in this place, we just ask for you to do a work in their heart, for you to draw them into relationship with you. God, I pray for those that once knew you, that once followed you, that once walked with you. I pray that today you would draw them home. You would bring them back into a relationship with you. You would help them to see your love, your grace, your acceptance and your truth for their life. I pray for those this morning that have never opened their heart to you, that have never opened up their life to be a follower of Christ. I pray that today, Lord God, something would happen in their spirit, in their heart, that would cause the lights to go on, that they would see your beauty, they would see your grace, they would see your love. God, we pray for those people today. God, as one church, we lift them up to you. God, we can't do it, but your Holy Spirit, you can. Your spirit can draw people into your, into your side. And God, we pray over those people right now in this place. We ask for them, God. We plead for their lives. We ask that they would come to know who you are and the difference you can make in their life. And God, we pray over our church today. We pray, Lord, over the church. And God, I pray that the church as a whole would be generational. God, we wouldn't see the pattern of one generation following you and the next turning from you. But we would see generation upon generation building upon the generation that's gone before. Standing on the ground that's already been taken and going, let's take more ground for you, God. Let's go further than the generations ever went before us. Let's be grateful for the generations that have gone before. But Lord God, let's keep pressing in for the next generation. We pray over our Ignite kids today as they start back for term two, Lord God. God, we pray for the young kids in that room. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would come to know who you are. They wouldn't just be kids that go to church because mum and dad go to church. But they would be kids who know who you are, Jesus, and the difference you can make in their young lives. We pray over Affect Youth as it goes back on Friday, God. We pray that same prayer over them. As our teenagers go through this transition of going from kids to adults, God, that they would go through that transition knowing your presence, knowing your truth, knowing the difference you can make in their lives in Jesus' name. And God, as we just close, as we come to a close, church, if you're here this morning and you're not in a relationship with God, you're not someone that could say, yeah, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love you just to come and say good day after the service. Come say hi to me. Come say hi to one of our team, whether it's down the front or out in the lounge area after the service. We'd love to meet with you. 
pray with you and just give you a Bible and say, you are on an amazing journey and we want to help you in that together. God, we thank you for the men and women in the Bible that have gone before us. We thank you for their wins and we thank you for their mistakes. We thank you that we can learn from them. Lord, that we can humbly walk through our lives, open to your direction, your leading and your guiding. God, we thank you that you are with us in this and we do not walk alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, church.